0: Today's scripture reading is from Leviticus chapters 11, 12, 13, and 15. Please listen as I read and please stand as you are able as we give our attention to God's word. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying to them, speak to the people of Israel saying, these are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. And you shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean, and on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying are completed." The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling, or an eruption, or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons the priest, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair is the diseased area, has turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day And if in his eyes the disease is checked, and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the disease area has faded, and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the eruption spreads in the skin, After he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest. And the priest shall look, and if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge. Whether his body runs with a discharge or his body is blocked up by the discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. This is God's word. You You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning. Who do you think is looking forward to this least right now? You or me? Would you pray with me as we come to look at God's word? Let's pray. God, we need your help Uh, whenever we come to your word, but I especially feel... uh, What a weird passage. (laughs) Um, We need your help, God. We need your help not just to um, understand what these words mean and what they might have to do with us. Um, We need your help for that, God. But more than just learning something um, about an ancient culture in a time and place very different from us, God, we need you. Um, Would we experience more of who you are and your closeness to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. I have to say, I have rarely felt um, like as, as much like I'm walking on eggshells than after listening to Nancy read some of that, all of that. Um, when we when we decided to preach through the book of Leviticus, uh, I was excited about the challenge, but I also knew that chapter eleven and twelve and thirteen and fourteen and fifteen were coming, and um, you know, there are a lot of books in the Bible that are easier to work through than Leviticus. All of them, actually, I think. Um, but I think that the, re- the reality is that even in churches uh, that want to, that take the Bible seriously, that believe that the Bible is God's word, there can be a tendency to gravitate towards certain books of the Bible. Uh, Galatians, First Peter... Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are, you know, uh, in the Old Testament. Genesis is the first half. You know, Genesis is okay. The Psalms are good. The book of Jonah. Jonah's great, right? It's a little fun story. There are, there are entire categories of the Bible that we just tend to miss. Um, and Leviticus is, uh, is the chief example of those. So I was excited to take on this book that is often overlooked. And uh, what we've seen up until this point has been the the, the challenge of Leviticus has largely been I think that it's that it seems very irrelevant to us. What are the the burnt offerings? Uh, What do these what the priesthood? What does that have to do with us? You know, Uh, why do we care about these festivals and seasons? Uh, But I was pretty confident that I could you know address those passages without boring everybody to tears. But in Leviticus 11, we got to turn the corner. We leave um, the question of irrelevance behind, and now we get into the territory of offensiveness. Um, so nobody—I don't think this is going to bore anybody, um, but it might. If, if Leviticus hasn't offended you yet, you know, good thing you're here today. Um, what is going on here? We didn't read everything. Um, was trying to give you a sampling. <laughs> Of the various clean laws that the Book of Leviticus talks about, but um, we read about you know we read about these various animals that are clean and unclean. Um, we skip there's like I think there's like 45 verses that talk about which insects are unclean and which insects are clean. You can, there's some insects you can eat, most you can't. Just if you're curious, um, we read about the ritual state of women after they've given birth. We've read uh, just a little bit about skin disease. If we had read the whole chapter, was it chapter 12, chapter 13, I think, you would immediately want to get up and leave and take a shower. Just reading it is, um, kind of makes your skin crawl. And, um, and then we read about bodily emissions. Um, and, if, and none of this raises an eyebrow for you. If, if, if you. if you're not sitting here going, what in the world? Um, then you're probably not really paying attention. So I just want to acknowledge that. Um, Some of this I think maybe makes sense to us, some of it doesn't. Um, Some of the animals, um, like we don't really care about eating camels. So, okay, whatever. I don't even know what a rock badger is, so it doesn't bother me. It probably doesn't bother any of you that a rock badger is unclean, right? But uh, particularly the statement that a woman is unclean after she's given birth, Um, strikes many of us as just plain offensive. What in the world, um, what in the world is God doing here? Um, Let me just try to give you the kind of the goal of the clean laws in Leviticus. Um, And then we'll jump in and look at some more detail. The the goal, what is the big picture? What's going on here? Uh, The concept of cleanness and uncleanness is this. What happens when you become unclean? Sometimes you're unclean, and uh, you're just unclean until that evening. Sometimes you're unclean for a week. Sometimes it lasts a little bit longer. But what it means is that you can't go into the temple, or you can't go into the tabernacle, uh, you can't go to church, you can't go into God's presence. And so these clean laws—they're about closeness. Um, it doesn't mean that God is mad at you if you're unclean. It doesn't mean He thinks you're gross if you're unclean. Um, It doesn't mean you have sinned if you're unclean. It just means that you cannot enter into God's presence. Um, These clean laws are about enjoying a relationship that God has given you. Um, Let me say it like this: sin brings distance. We all know this intuitively. When if you get into an argument with uh, whether it's your spouse or friend, um, there's distance between you. Um, It might feel hard to look somebody in the eye. You might not want to hold somebody's hand, right? When sin enters into the world, it brings separation. It brings distance between you and God or between you and other people. And the clean laws are about God creating for his people a world where we live in a sort of living parable that our entire existence, or at least The entire existence of God's people in the Old Testament, because of these clean laws, was a sort of living parable about the effects of sin in the world. Um, Let me tell you what I mean about a living parable. Think about—I remember as a kid when I would go to a museum. It was like the most boring experience in the world. You'd go in these grand rooms and you walk down these long halls where uh, the exhibits are behind like glass and you read these little tiny plaques that tell you what's going on, and you go home, and you learn nothing, right? When I take my kids to a museum now, it's like you get your hands in the muck. You've got, like, you're doing the thing. Like, we went to this Pixar exhibit, and you're, they're showing you how to make movies, right? It's an immersive experience, and you go away thinking, wow, I really, I really like, learned something. I really understood that I was immersed in the world that I was studying here. That's what Leviticus is trying to do, is doing for God's people. Um, God's people in the Old Testament is creating this world that immerses us in the reality that sin has consequences. uh, And that sin brings uh, perversion and separation into the world. Uh, God is showing us in Leviticus, what he's showing us in Leviticus is that he's saying, I don't want you to just learn things about me. Um, I want you to actually experience me in your day-to-day life. In your day-to-day life, I want everything that you do to show you how sin has messed up your world. Um, I want everything you do to bring you face-to-face with a question of, is this bringing me closer to God or is this bringing me farther away from God? God is saying your life is a living parable. Now, we could read these chapters and think the main point of these chapters is like it's giving us a list of things not to do. Um, and then the, we can write down that, and in fact, that's what God's people mistakenly did for thousands of years. Um, saw the Leviticus and the clean laws as here's the do's and don'ts of staying on God's good side. And it was a misunderstanding of what God was, um, what God was doing. Um, this is not a series of do's and don'ts that tell us what we must do if we are going to be worthy of God. Um, or, or, It's not saying this is what you must do if you, um, if you want God to love you. Um, the question is not, does God want to be close to me? The question is not, have I done enough so that God wants to be close to me? The question is this, do I actually want to be close to God? Okay? Do I want to be close to God? Do you believe that God wants to be close to you? Do you think that God actually... Um, enjoys you or does he just maybe um i so many of us think that god just kind of endures me he puts up with i've done these things and so i prayed that prayer when i was in junior high so he puts up with me he has to um what leviticus is showing us is what it costs to be close the cost of being close to god so I want to look at this passage um, in a little bit more detail. I just want to ask two questions, to answer this, answer two questions with this passage. And these are the questions. The first question is what does unclean mean? Okay? If we're gonna talk about these clean laws, we have to actually think about what is unclean actually, what does it mean to be unclean? Uh, and then, secondly, who can make us clean? So, first, what does it mean? What does unclean mean? These words clean and unclean, what do they actually mean? Um, are they? Is it saying? Is God saying, um, "When I made pigs, I made a mistake. They're bad." Uh, is God saying a woman is gross when she's on her period? Is He saying that a person with a skin disease is morally suspect—that they did something wrong—and God has like stricken them with the plague because they're awful? Um, well, I think it's fair to say that the words "clean" and "unclean" are unhelpful. Um, they're accurate translations. It's what the, it's what the Hebrew means. Um, but they're not super helpful for us because we think that the opposite of clean is dirty. And so if, um, if you do something and that makes you unclean, we think that it's saying uh, you're bad, you're dirty, you're gross. Um, but Leviticus doesn't mean clean as opposed to dirty. Leviticus is talking about um, ritual, states of ritual purity. Okay, and there's three potential states of ritual purity. You can be unclean, you can be clean, or you can be holy. And if you're a priest, you can be most holy. Um, so clean is not the or unclean is not the opposite of dirty or a synonym. Does not make sense? Clean is not the opposite of dirty. Um, unclean is the opposite of holy. Um, if you're unclean, it doesn't mean you're sinful. It doesn't mean you're yucky. It doesn't mean you're gross. It doesn't mean God is mad at you. And you can see this because most of the time when you're unclean, all you have to do is wait. Uh, You don't have to repent, you don't have to sacrifice. You just wait and then you become clean. Um, Unclean, a better uh, way for us to think about unclean would be inappropriate. Um, Think about it like this. If you wanna vote, you have to register, right? Um, If you don't register to vote, does that mean you're bad? No, right? You're not a bad person because you're not registered to vote. But if you're not registered to vote, and then you go vote, that's a problem. See, it's not sinful, it's not wrong, you're not morally suspect just because you're unclean. But if you are unclean, and then you do what is inappropriate when you're unclean, that is wrong. Um, cleanness. <coughs> has to do with what's appropriate. Another way to put this, if I, can, if I can put it like this, is to think about, I'm just gonna use the word cussing, okay, H- whatever, however you would you know, define that. Um, what's the deal with cussing? Like, I, when, when we were little kids, everybody who was a little kid, there, there are certain, like you're just blissfully unaware. And then sometime in elementary school, you discover that there are some words that are bad words, right? I'm gonna have to explain this to my son later probably. Because, because at some point maybe in like middle school, you have this epiphany that those are just sounds. And like why should there be certain sounds that are bad and other sounds, words that are good? You're following me? Like they're just sounds. What is it, if I say certain sounds in a certain order, it's bad. I can say those same sounds in a different order. Um, and and it's fine. All right, let me give you another example. There, um, there are certain words that, depending on the context, are appropriate or inappropriate, right? Like, I could use the biblical word for donkey right now, and it would be fine. It might be a little bit provocative, but you understand what I'm saying? I could say it right now, I'm not going to, but I could, and it would be fine. But if I used the same word referring to a piece, you know, part of anatomy, that would be inappropriate, right? Um, and why is that? We start to, you know, at some point, we, we just realize, we put it together that there... Um, there are some words that are unique to every language that are just inappropriate in certain settings. Um, and that, that's, you understand what I'm saying? Um, uncleanness does not mean sinful. It just means inappropriate. What God is saying in Leviticus is this. He says, I have ordered your life for you to help you see that some actions are appropriate and other actions are inappropriate when you come into my presence. And when you are in an inappropriate state, when you are in a state of uncleanness, it doesn't mean that God is mad at you. It simply means, um, what he's saying is, I want you to feel, what I want you to feel is the reality that sin has messed up the world that you live in. Sin has messed up your world, and so there is distance between you and me. Um, Now, maybe you're thinking at this point, okay, maybe I'm not offended. Um But in the New Testament, doesn't Jesus, like, do away with all of this? Uh, (laughs) Doesn't he do away with the clean laws? So um, how does this even apply to us? Well, what I I want you to see is, uh, and please don't miss this, there's a reason why we had to read, like, four or five chapters. We didn't read all of them, but I wanted to give you selections from every chapter that talks about the clean laws, because if we had just read, like, chapter 12, what, God hates women? What's the deal with that? Come on. Um, but reading all of this, we get a fuller picture of what life would have been like for the ancient Israelites. Think about this. What could you do if you lived in this world without thinking about the clean laws? Right? It's talking about every time you eat, does this make me clean? When you get up in the morning, am I clean? When I go to bed, am I clean? Um, you know, when I notice something on my body for the first time, my body's doing something I didn't expect before. Am I clean or am I unclean? What it's doing is creating a world in which every single thing we would do, you would do, uh, forces you to ask the question: Does this bring me closer to God, or is it bringing me further away from God? And so I think there's, that's incredibly helpful for us to think about. Even though we're not bound to keep, as Christians in the New Testament, I'm not bound to keep these clean laws, God made it very clear. Uh, in the New Testament, that we are not bound to keep these clean laws. This still gives us a picture of what, um, of what I've been trying to say, I think repeatedly in this series, which is this, that, that the book of Leviticus helps us to understand what, it, what it's like to live in the presence of God in every single aspect of our lives. 24-7, 365. Um, what these clean laws do for us is they, they show us a world where every time you sit down to eat, we're asking ourselves the question, is this bringing me closer to God, is this bringing me further from God? When I wake up, what, will, what, what today will bring me closer to God? When I, go to, when I go to sleep at night, will this bring me closer to God? When I go to work, is this bringing me closer to God? When I get in the car, is this bringing me closer to God? When I look at my phone, is this bringing me closer to God? When I turn on the TV, is this bringing me closer to God? The clean laws invite us into a life of discernment, a life of constantly asking the question, is what I'm doing in this moment, is it bringing me closer to God, or is it separating me from his presence? Sin creates distance between us and God, and so living as a Christian means learning to ask in every single situation of life, is this bringing me closer to God? Is this bringing me closer to God? That's the first thing that the clean laws show that... Um, but there's one other thing throughout Leviticus we've seen this emphasis on holiness and God, God says repeatedly says I am holy and therefore you will be holy um, my people are going to be holy and I've said this before but holiness I think we have this idea that holy means super spiritual like a superman Christian um, but holy just means set apart to be holy means to be distinct it means I mean a very simple way to think about holiness it just means different and God is saying, the thing that makes my people different, the thing that makes my people holy, is that I am holy, right? People, we are not holy because we obey, but we are holy because we belong to a God who is holy. And because we belong to a God who is holy, therefore God says we should be different. We should be different than everyone else. And the clean laws ensured that God's people would be different. Because if you can't eat what other people are eating, you can't eat with them, right? And so you're going to be different than them because you don't eat what they eat. Um, Now, again, uh, God made very clear in the New Testament that we are to eat with people. um, That Believers are to eat with unbelievers. Um, But but let me give you this example. I have a friend... um, uh, well, let me say that before I say that. We already eat with other people. He abolishes the, clean, the restrictions on, on diet. says, yes, you already eat with people, but you are still to pursue holiness. Okay? Um, there's like a maturing process here. Um, my kids, if they bring peanuts in their lunch, or anything with peanuts, they have to sit at a table that's the peanut table at lunch. Adults can sit at whatever table they want, right? There's a growing up that says, "Okay, you don't have to be sequestered from people in order to be holy," um, but there's still a call to holiness. I have a friend who, um, uh, my, I have a friend who is a was a pastor at a church in a small town in like central Mississippi, and a couple maybe five years ago, I was visiting them. And we went out to uh, lunch at this nice restaurant, and my friend's wife uh, has celiac disease. She is gluten intolerant. She's very sensitive to gluten. Um, Could not eat anything with gluten, and we're in this restaurant. And let's just say it's not the most cosmopolitan place in the world. And it's getting better, but this is you know five years ago. And we we, she looks at the menu. She looks through. Everything's deep fried. She's like, there's nothing on this menu that I can order. And so she asks the server, she says, what do you have that's gluten-free? The server says, um, I don't know, let me, let me go check. And so the server goes and asks the manager, the manager comes out and says, looks at my friend's wife says, are you the gluten-free? Like that's what says. are you the gluten-free? And she said, uh, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, she has a name and it is not the gluten-free. Um, and he asked, this, the manager asked her some questions. So uh, let, me, let, me, let me check something. Like goes back, the chef comes, the cook comes out. Are you the gluten-free? No, her name is, I'm not gonna say it, but she has a name, it's not the gluten-free, right? And you know, I think she ends up eating like a almost raw piece of chicken with nothing on it. It was like the least appetizing meal I've ever seen. And she kind of looks at me and she's like, you know, eventually it's just easier to stay home, right? Her diet is such, that it forced her to be separate to be different um, than other people um in the new testament god makes it abundantly clear that he wants his people to eat with unbelievers with people who are not believers but there's still a call to holiness um let me say this like as bluntly as possible what this means is that if you're a christian you're going to be weird um I mean, that's just as simple as it is. Like, you are going to have to be different in some ways. Going, you can't be just um, a Christian and be perfectly cool all the time. There are going to be times when you're going to stick out. That's what it means to be holy. It means to be distinct. It means to be different. So uh, you cannot be a Christian and just pursue the American dream with reckless abandon because there are times when the American dream comes into opposition to uh, the Bible and what Jesus would have us do. Um, you can't be a Christian and be the perfect PTA mom. You can't be a Christian and be a, um, you know unqualified, successful, driven professional. Now, can you be in the PTA and be a Christian? Can you be a professional? I mean, of course, as a Christian, right? But there are going to be times when your priorities as a Christian are going to bump up against the priorities Of the group that you're a part of. And God is calling you to holiness. In every aspect of our lives, God is calling His people to holiness. Social media, how we spend our money, what we do with our spare time, God is calling His people to be different, to be holy, to be distinct. Okay, that's the first question. What does holiness, what does cleanness mean? Uncleanness, it means inappropriate. Um, But secondly, who will make us clean? Who will make us clean? Again, when um, we read these four or five chapters, you have to see how all-encompassing this is. Um, if you just read the chapter on women, wow, right? But it balanced with chapter, what is it, chapter 14, I think, that says, when a, uh, chapter 15, when a man has a discharge from his body. Right, the food you eat, your skin, every single—it um, is so all-encompassing that what it's saying is that every single person, at one point or another, will be unclean. It's not singling out this group of awful, disgusting people that we never want to have to do any- anything to do with. It's saying every single person will be unclean regularly, routinely. It's a part of life that we will enter into states of uncleanness. And then become clean again. No matter who you are, it's going to happen. Let me repeat what I said earlier. The clean laws are not meant to be lists of things that you shouldn't do. They are meant to be a living parable that show you the multifaceted reality of the many ways that sin has messed up your world. Um, Sin has messed up your world. You have to see this because it sets us up for something beautiful. It sets us, we have to come to terms with the fact that we are unclean people. That we are separated from God. That's a hard reality, right? That, that there are things about us, uh, about each one, of we, we, we all know this, that, that um, we feel unclean. You know, all I have to do is start to, like, I mean, there's a couple things I could start, I mean, have you ever, have you ever walked into a room and you don't know anybody there, um, and you start to feel conspicuous. I actually felt unclean in this very room. Um, my two older kids go to school here, and when we first moved here just about two years ago, there was a, a, a PTA welcomed, had like a new parents orientation for new parents, and so I came and I was PTA meeting in this room, and I was the only man in the room. Um, I mean, I could not tell you how out of place and conspicuous I felt, and that's what it feels to be unclean. It's the feeling that I don't know if I should be here, and I feel like everybody else knows that too. Everybody is looking at me and saying, yeah, he doesn't seem like he should be here. Um, Some of us are dealing with the pain of rejection, maybe from a job, maybe from a lover, maybe from a child. Um, We've heard words that have said, I don't want to be with you. Uh, that might feel like anger, that might feel like hurt, that might feel like frustration, uh, and that might be how you feel. Um, but I think what we're afraid of is, is the possibility that not just does this one person not wanna be with me, but that, that I am as a person unwantable, that nobody really wants to be with me. That's what it is to feel unclean. Some of us have, um, have a secret Maybe something in our past, maybe something, um, you know, maybe just saying that you're thinking of it right now. Something that uh, makes you feel like if others knew what I'm thinking, this thing that I've done, this thing that I carry with me, uh, they wouldn't want to be with me. They wouldn't want to know me. They would be embarrassed of me. Um, We have this thing that if, you know, if anyone knew who I really was, they would want to run away. Those are hard truths that we all feel unclean, but acknowledging that sets us up for a beautiful truth. What I want you to see is that um, Leviticus doesn't just give you a living parable of the way that sin messes up your life, but it also introduces us to the God who cleanses. Leviticus wants to introduce you to the God who can make you clean. When Jesus shows up, maybe, I don't know, 1,500 years after the book of Leviticus is written, um, when God's people, in many ways, have been obsessed with trying to keep these purity laws, these clean laws, for 1,500 years, the thing that they have become known for is that they obsess over keeping the rules. And it's um, remarkable that Jesus shows up and he just seems to like ignore them Almost. Um, and something happens that's absolutely astounding. We actually, I didn't know we were going to do this. We sang about this um, a minute ago when we sang in Heal Us Emmanuel, the line, she who, uh, she who reached out in her distress. Probably half of you are going, what does that mean? It's referring to a, uh, an account in Mark chapter 5, where uh, Jesus is walking along and he's in a crowd And there's people all around him. And there is a woman who has been on her period for 12 years. Okay? For 12 years. She is an outcast. She is unclean. She cannot, um, you know, she cannot go where people go. She has no friends. It says in Mark 5 that she has given her money to doctors and doctors and doctors who have only made the problem worse She's an outcast. She is miserable. And she hears that Jesus can maybe do something. She doesn't know what. And she hears that he is in this crowd, and he is walking through this village, and she sneaks into the crowd, and she sneaks up behind him and just kind of grabs some of his clothes. And Jesus stops, and he says, Who touched me? And it's hilarious. (laughs) It says in Mark 5, his disciples say, You're in a crowd. Everyone's touching you. What are you talking about? And Jesus says, No, I felt power go out from me. And this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years instantly knows that she has been cleaned. She's clean. When Jesus comes, something totally new happens. Because what we've seen in Leviticus, and we would see this over and over and over again, is that any time an unclean thing touches a clean thing, the clean thing becomes unclean, okay? If I am unclean and I sit on this chair, and then you who are clean come and sit on this chair, you are now unclean. I don't know how you keep track of that, but you understand the idea. Clean, unclean things infect clean things. Never in history until Jesus shows up has the opposite happened. And Jesus shows up and he brings his cleanness into a filthy, unholy, gross world. And for the first time ever, an unclean woman touches a clean man and she is clean. But did you notice Jesus said, I felt power go out from me. And what that shows us is the reality that in order for Jesus to cleanse us, it costs him something. Jesus makes us who are unclean, he makes us clean because he takes our uncleanness upon himself. This is what happens on the cross. On the cross, Jesus takes your uncleanness in order to make you clean. On the cross, Jesus dies in order to give you life. On the cross, Jesus is abandoned in order to bring you close to God. Jesus becomes unholy in order to make you holy. Have you met Jesus? Have you experienced his cleansing power in your life? Have you met him? Do you know him? Have you felt his touch? He wants to make you clean. In the 19th century, there was a Christian missionary named Joseph Damien, and he went to Hawaii on the island of Molokai, there was a leper colony. These, uh, these men and women who, because of their hope, their health, um, really could not function in society. Uh, they were outcasts and they lived in this uh, leper colony on, Molokini, on Molokai. Um, and um, Joseph Damien uh, was not a leper. He, he loved these people. He served them. He was a Christian and every morning he would lead... A worship service, and um, he would begin every worship service by addressing the lepers, saying, uh, "My fellow believers." And one morning, as he was going about his you know morning routine, he accidentally spilled boiling water on his foot, and he realized that he didn't feel it, and he knew what that meant, and so that morning. He goes in to lead the worship service. And for the first time ever, he begins, My fellow lepers. And everybody knew what that meant. Jesus came into the world knowing full well what it would cost him to make us clean. There's two things I want you to see from that story. And the first is... is, I mean, doesn't it just show you the depth of that man's love for those people? And it pales in comparison to the cost that Jesus bore on the cross in order to make us clean. Jesus bore in his body the full effect of your sin so that you would be clean. So that the separation that you experience between yourself and God um, could be wiped away, could be removed. Jesus was clean, and he came to make you clean. Do you know do you know him? Um, this morning, you know, this is Father's Day, and this morning my kids ran down the stairs, and they're so you know excited to say, happy, happy Father's Day, Dad, and give me hugs. And I just, I feel like I'm in pains to hug my kids and tell them how much it means to me. To, this is Father's Day, and I get to celebrate Father's Day. I'm your dad because I love you. Have you heard your father say, I love you. I love you. Jesus paid the price in order to enable you to hear the voice of your father saying, I love you. The second thing from the story that I want you to see is this, that um, I think it's a litmus test that you know you've met the real Jesus when unclean people are drawn to you. Unclean people, uh, they flee from religious people and they flock to Jesus. <clears throat> and you will know that you've met the real Jesus when you begin to move into the unclean places in your world. This is why it's so important to see Leviticus is not, Leviticus um, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 is not giving you a list of things that you must do in order to make yourself acceptable to God. It's a course of life that you will at various times be in a state of uncleanness. God, Because what that means for Christians is this. Jesus has made you clean. The, uncle, the clean one has come into your life and made you who are unclean. He has made you clean. And that he sends you out into a world that is filthy and gross and disgusting because you're holy now because he is holy. And he sends us out into places that are unholy in order to bring healing. Because you are now clean, he invites you to follow him into the unclean places in the lives of others that through you, Jesus might cleanse them too. Uh, The history of the Christian church is littered Littered, with, littered with examples. Um, we could talk about. Um, I don't know what this t- t- is something like sixty uh, percent of of doctors oversee not not um, you know in the developing world like sixty percent of doctors serving in the developing world are Christian missionaries. Christians spreading across the world, going into really really difficult places, in order to bring healing, in order to bring, you know to bring Jesus who makes people clean. In the 19th century, um, Christian missionaries would go to certain parts of Africa and they would pack their belongings in a coffin. (laughs) I mean, that's so sad and beautiful. They would pack their belongings in a coffin. They called it the coffin corner because the disease was so foreign to European bodies that it was only a matter of time. And yet missionaries went they went. They went to bring the good news of Jesus to people who have never heard. And they packed their belongings in a coffin and they shipped the coffin home with their body in it. There's all kinds of dramatic examples. But we could talk about less dramatic examples too. Um, you could sit with your neighbors as they're going through awful situations. You just sit with people and um, And it's awkward and you feel like, I don't know what to say. And it's hard and you feel like, I don't really wanna be here. But you're bringing cleanness into an unclean world when you just sit with people who are hurting, who are struggling, and maybe say nothing. It might mean um, being a friend to that socially awkward person in your office. You know, the one that never gets invited to lunch Um, It might mean when your kids are being, kids, (laughs) loud, uh, speaking autobiographically, that you respond with kindness instead of shame. That you bring healing into a place that is dark. That you have a word of gentleness instead of a word of shame. The question isn't, how can I obey enough of the rules in order to make God want to be close to me. The question for us is this. Do you want to be close to God? If you do, then run to Jesus. He is the one who is clean. He is the one who has come into our unholy, unclean world. but he is the one who can truly make us clean. We pray with me? Jesus, would you make us clean? Not because we have um, avoided anything unclean. But God, because you are the one who makes unclean people clean. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Would you clean us, cleanse us? Would you help us to remember that the thing that makes us clean is not what we have or haven't done, but it is your work in our lives on our behalf. Help us to cling to you. And because you have made us clean, help us then to move into the world, into places that are deeply broken and hurting in order to uh, share, shed the light of your gospel there, that you might bring healing. In Jesus' name.